Hello everybody, um, welcome to another episode, kind of like a mini-zode of It's Alive. I am here with Tina. Hi. Yeah, um, what happened in the last episode was just a teaser, we totally did not run out of time. (laughs) To be honest, if you're listening to this, you're either a friend of mine or you're someone I work with (laughs) and you know that this shit is gonna be chaotic as fuck yeah I mean I'm not gonna excuse myself my guy (laughs) the best is yet to come hold on yeah I mean we're figuring it out we're figuring it out um yeah so in the last episode we spoke about the serial killer Israel Keys and we got down to the way that he operated and why he was as notorious as he was which was the fact that he would hide killing kids and he would let his victims come to him very similar to ted bundy his idol yeah so what I wanted to cover in this episode is I wanted to um, continue talking about some of the crimes that are known to us but also raise his suicide spoiler alert <laughs> and it's like the easy way out yeah cause I, cause I it's not much of a spoiler, spoiler alert cause I mentioned in a previous episode that I'm gonna read you his suicide note which is cringy yeah so I kind of yeah he was negotiating with the police for the longest time but it got to the point that the police felt like they're not really getting anywhere with him which was quite similar with Ted Bundy because he used to negotiate negotiate so it got to the point that they were like right cool okay death penalty yeah so I am going to be talking about Deborah Feldman. She was a woman and at the end of her verb, she was approaching 50 and was the worse for wear. Deborah was addicted to many narcotics and despite the best intentions of her adult son Matthew, she wasn't getting any better. Deborah was addicted to heroin and cocaine, among other substances. Deborah lost custody of her only child, Matthew when he was in his teenage years, and she seemed to spiral down from there. Even when she grew estranged from everyone in her life, she kept coming to her adult son for help financially, only to be rebuffed. In their last conversation, Deborah had come to visit Matthew and demanded that he give her up to $400 he had just received as a payment to his fast food job. She would go on to threaten to kill herself if her son didn't give up the paycheck to her, and he refused. At first, he offered her a nearby knife, calling her bluff. Deborah put down the knife and withdrew her threat. But then she broke down, telling her son that she needed the money to keep from getting evicted. Matty eventually gave in to his mother's request, gave her the money, because uh, that's what family does, he would say. Deborah Feldman, a resident of New Jersey, would go missing just days afterwards. She was known by all in her life to have a serious issue with drugs, alcohol, and even her family wouldn't have been surprised to find out that she had likely been 
moonlighting as a prostitute before her disappearance. To this date, her fate and her whereabouts remain unknown, but her son hasn't forgotten about his missing mother. The FBI would later piece together the narrative that Israel Keys abducted a woman in New Jersey, whom he threatened, transported over to upstate New York, where she was murdered and buried. They do not believe that she was buried on his plot of land nearby Constable. But the likelihood of the body being buried nearby is very high. They have linked this to the disappearance of Deborah Fieldman not only through happenstance but by the near admission of Keyes. While being interrogated by the FBI, Keyes was shown photos of many of missing men and women from the state he had visit the states he had visited, in the hopes that he would identify some just to bring the family's closure. He gestured no to most of the photos, but he was shown a picture of Deborah Fieldman. He paused. His response to the photo may be the only closure the family of Deborah Fieldman will ever receive. I am not ready to talk about her, he would say, before dropping the subject forever. <sighs> what a dick. Yeah. So, did I not... Did I find out in the end, like, if he actually was the one that killed her? Not really. But I would guess he was since he said that. Yeah. He he, he must have. He must, if he knew about her. Just a day after the disappearance of Deborah Fieldman on April 10, 2009, Keyes began to expand his criminal activities, wearing a fake mustache, fake goatee, sunglasses, and a hoodie. He walked into a community bank with a silver handgun and demanded money. So there we go. I feel like the way that I told you last in that last episode that he was dealing with the adrenaline. Yeah. After a kill, he would go and um, rob a shop or a bank or something. So yeah. if this happened just the day after her disappearance, that makes me think that he did it. Yeah, it would make sense. He got away with an undisclosed amount of money, and even though his picture was displayed across the local news and town of Tupper Lake shut down the town of Tupper Lake shut down all the roads leading in and out of town. Keys wasn't apprehended or even identified. Nobody in the area recognized him, since he was a complete outsider, and he held out a local campground until the heat had died down enough to make his gateway. Investigators would later find out that this was just one of several bank robberies perpetrated by Keyes as a means of funding his constant expeditions around the United States. Little is known of how he got back to Anchorage, but it's likely that he may have driven the entire way and paid his way in cash so that no records would be maintained of his whereabouts. This would become an important aspect of his future travels, so it's possible that it started here. Yeah, sounds very much like his first kill. Yeah. It's amazing like how much he got away with. I feel like it's not just that, it's also that he was so cocky and narcissistic and cold-blooded. Mm-hmm. That he was like, even if they caught him, he would be like, 
Like, how can you prove this? Yeah. He must have, um... I don't know. He, he obviously didn't believe that he would get caught. Like, Ben Bundy. Like, he was able to, you know, um, make his way through it to basically tell the authority, like, no, I didn't do it, and, like, somehow make them believe him. Yeah, I guess that's why he kind of got a family and stuff. I feel like it was very much of, like, for him to kind of fit the everyday guy stereotype. Yeah. Kind of like his family was, like, a, like his beard. <laughs> like, the term of, like, beard, like, if a gay guy has, like, a beard. Mm-hmm. So, like, he has a friend that he pretends is his girlfriend to act, like, straight. So, I feel oh. his family was his, like, beard to make him look like a normal guy. Okay. Yeah. But that that makes you question, like, did he actually care for his family? He actually did, because the only reason that he did not want any publicity and, you know, he was really, like, annoyed, like I said, with podcasts covering him. <laughs> yeah. Was because he didn't want his family to get any heat. Mm-hmm. Well, I bet his family probably has changed, like, the names and all that. I mean, if that was me, I would have. I mean, it was it was quite, quite depressing. I hope I can get to cover that as well, because I really want to. It doesn't matter how many episodes I'm going to have to do on it, but I'm going to yeah. try to cover this too, because what followed for his family was devastating and very depressing and sad because they had to also deal with the hate of the families of the victims Mm -hmm. because obviously like they're they're just like there's blind rage they all they know is that these people are related to the killer of their fam of their family members Mm -hmm. yeah that's quite sad so obviously they weren't like involved in that yeah, I mean, first you have to deal with the shock of finding out that your dad that loved you and treated you great, or your husband that you lived with all these years, has done these things. And he's done them on vacations, like family vacations, where you slept in the same room. Yeah. He would go on a walk and, he, you know, you have to live with the shock of that. Then you have to live with the shock of of all the consequences that happened. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. And I think in that podcast called True Crime Bullshit, um, they mentioned that his wife listened to the confession tapes and she just broke down because he was laughing, he was mocking his victims. He was like, you know, they all thought they were going to get away, but nah. Yeah, I mean, anyone would have a like a breakdown if they heard like someone close to them being so cold and admitting to things that you'd never think they were capable of devastating mm-hmm. a year passed but keys gave no sign of slowing down on july 9th 2010 keys flew from anchorage to sacramento california he then traveled to sacramento from sacramento to auburn California, where he rented a vehicle, a black Ford Focus, and traveled close 
to 280 miles over the next few days. We can only guess to the extent of, this, of his activities in California, but it's likely that he may have buried another one of his murder kits or even committed a crime during his time there. In April of May, in April or May, wow, yeah. 2011, Keys visited a park near Point Woronzov, located nearby his home city of Anchorage. He had a rifle with him and fully intended to shoot a couple when he had spotted that, that he had spotted in the parking lot of the park. When the police officer showed up in the parking lot, Keys set his sights on the officer. He only refrained when, second, when a second officer was revealed to be there as well. Just weeks later, Keys was stalking a nearby trailhead with the sole intention of abducting someone. He had even buried an improvised murder kit containing many bottles of Drano and a shovel, which he would use to dispose of his potential victim's body. He then ended up coming up sorry he ended up coming up empty on both accounts but his most well-known atrocities were yet to come that is so fucking scary yeah. wow. you just wow you're just having a stroll in the park and this motherfucker's like i got a shovel hidden up up there oh my <laughs> god dude <laughs> yeah probably like Imagine like having a stressful day, like just wanting to be alone. Honestly, <laughs> if it's me, I would be like, go for it. And then he'll be like, it's not fun because you're into it. I would be like, I hate my life. <laughs> like now nah, I have to find someone else. He'll be like, nah. Well, I have to kill you because you've seen me. But at the same time, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, just go for it. Yeah, it's fine. I'll pay Because they get off... Many, in many cases, they get off on the fear. Yeah. Yeah, especially with him. I feel like it was very much a superiority complex where he would be like, ha ha ha, they were begging me. They were begging me for their lives. Whereas I feel like it would, if it was me, you know, I would just like, go for it, bro. He would be like, no. <laughs> nah. I would yeah, unfortunately bro. survive. No, but this is the reason I need either like a pepper spray or something because the thought that these people are out there fucks with me hard. Yeah, it's insane. Like, here you are telling yourself to relax and not be paranoid. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) On June 2nd of 2011, Israel Keys flew out to Anchorage. His flight arrived in Chicago, but he had his sights set for the east. He rented a car in the Chicago airport, where he then drove all the way east to Essex, Vermont. During his trip, he took the battery out of his cell phone so that there would be no trace of his travels. And he paid his entire way in cash, money he had saved up from his handyman business and also the money he had left over, he had left over from the robberies he had committed. Years beforehand, during one of his family trips east, Keys had buried one of his murder kids in the woods outside of a house. Goosebumps. The house belonged to Bill and Lorraine Courier, an older couple that was adored by all that knew them. Bill and Lorraine Courier were longtime citizens of the area and had both been working their respective jobs for over 20 years. 
So when they were both absent from work, the next morning, questions were asked and flags were raised. On the evening before, June 8th, Keys had broken into the house of Bill and Lorraine Courier and surprised the both of them. He had bound both and abducted them using their own vehicle to do so. The audacity. That must have been so scary. It's all, in a lot of cases, people that everyone likes as well. You know, that get murdered. It just, yeah. I get that it's random for him, but I also feel like it's a bit of an amateur move not to kind of know. Because, like, I get that it's random that he targets his victims. But wouldn't it be, like, smarter to target, like, a loner or something? Give them ideas. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, and I need to stop yeah. thinking like a serial killer. This is not helping. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. But I feel like he did shoot himself in the foot with that one, that he, he, he wasn't realizing that they're popular in their community and shit. Yeah, but I guess that that was part of his thing, like, uh, not having a pattern. Yeah, but know? that's also true, yeah. Because, I mean, and also the thing is, if something is super obvious it's less likely for people to notice so people would be like if there was a serial killer why them they're an elderly couple everybody loves them exactly nobody hates them exactly so that also makes sense there's also like this bad reputation um that like only for example um sex workers are targeted or Mm. like you know strippers or whatever you know because some people just say oh they're putting themselves in that kind of situation like kind of blaming the victim and this just shows that it's just not like that Mm. there's nothing that they can do to basically you know deserve anything like that yeah yeah i mean if someone's decided to do something to you like like we saw like these people just in the park Mm-hmm. <laughs> the policemen were just in the park they were just like hanging out doing their job doing their thing and this guy's like I have a shovel nearby like oh my god <laughs> what the fuck but yeah he drove the terrified older co- old, older couple to a nearby abandoned house where he led Bill into the basement he kept Lorraine upstairs where he began to sexually assault her purely to cause pain dickhead wow. Bill began to struggle downstairs, and this loving husband tried to free himself to rescue his wife. Unfortunately, Keys had come prepared for that, utilizing the murder kit that he had buried years prior. He shot and killed Bill Courier, and later strangled Lorraine to death. He took both of their bodies to the basement of the abandoned house, where he covered them in trash bags. He then poured Drano all over the two, hoping that the bodies would seriously decompose before anyone would find them. Israel covered them up with as much debris as possible to hide the bodies and simply left. Unfortunately, the bodies of Bill and Lorraine Courier were never found. The abandoned house they had been left in would later be demolished. The demolition crew noted that the basement smelled heavily of decomposition, but just assuming that the previous tenants had been hunters 
of some type as hunting was very common in the area. The debris and the remains and the remains of the abandoned house were sent to a local landfill, and the only evidence of proving that Bill and Lorraine Courier had been murdered was the testimony of a proven psychopath. Wow. He could be chatting so much shit just to make them feel like they got something. Yeah, how would he find out about, like, these cases? Let's say if he didn't actually commit them, how would he find out about them? From the media or something? Could be. I mean, he was a stalker. Yeah. That's insane. Also, I think, I'm not sure, but I think that, like, don't quote me. But I think um, in the True Crime Bullshit podcast, they mentioned that he was heavily obsessed with missing people cases. Like, heavily. Like, he would collect them and study them. Oh, wow. Because he was aiming for every single one of his victims to be, quote-unquote, missing person. Because, you know, like, if someone's, like, missing, the chances of them finding that person are very, very low. So he was just trying to study how people go missing and to kind of recreate it as he was going along. So he could have found that these guys just went missing and then be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I killed them. Yeah, could be. Studied their address, you know, memorized everything and then just be like, yeah, you know, here you go. I, I confess to this murder. Hmm. But does that mean that then he didn't kill anyone? He was just saying that he did just so he can, um, I don't know. People are like... Some people are crazy. They want to actually be known for doing something like that because it's to them it's better being known for something than not being known for anything. See, yeah, no, he because he actually did kill people and yeah, there's actually proof of those things. But Oh, okay. Yeah. And also, like I said, he really didn't want anyone to know his business because of like his family and stuff. Mm-hmm. Should have done a better job. Trust. In the week following the murder of Bill and Lorraine Courier, Israel traveled along the East Coast before returning to Chicago. In Chicago, he returned to the rental car he had now driven thousands of miles in before flying to San Francisco. He would stay in the Bay Area for only a single night before flying back to Anchorage on June 16th. He had been gone only two weeks, but the damage had been done. Bill and Lorraine Courier remain only two of the three victims that could be absolutely attributed to Israel. Oh, okay. With a third yet to come, Israel now had a taste for blood and he was beginning to feel invincible. It was less than a year later that Israel Keys would commit his most notorious act. He went against his usual MO and decided to strike close home. Samantha Koenig was a beautiful 18-year-old woman with the rest of her life in front of her. She worked at a local coffee stand as a barista and was working the evening shift on this particular night. Surveillance footage had be, ha, can be seen of her working at the stand rather dutifully, cleaning the tight and tidying things up, as it was rather slow Wednesday night on February 1st. A man in a ski mask approaches the stand and asks Samantha to make him a coffee. You can see Samantha get to work on the coffee, but when she goes to hand it to him, 
he reveals a gun. He orders her to give him the money from the coffee stand and then he enters the stand. He zip ties her hands and begins to lead her away from the coffee stand. This makes intruder this masked intruder reveals that he's going to abduct Samantha and extort her for ransom. But she tries to inform him that her family doesn't have much money. This masked man says that he's planning on the community raising the funds to get her back alive. And he orders her to follow his instructions. During his trip to his nearby truck, Samantha tries to make a break for it. Unfortunately, Keys catches up and tackles her, putting a gun to her head, threatening to kill her with his quiet ammunition if she tries to do something like that again. Once Samantha was detained in his truck, Israel returned to the coffee stand to get Samantha's cell phone. He viewed her cell phone as a vital part of his plan, as he then used it to send two text messages, one to her boss and the other to her boyfriend. In this text message, he stated that Samantha had a bad day at work and needed to get away for a few days. He took the phone with him but removed the battery so that the police would not be able to trace it. Despite the fact that he likely had plenty of money, Keys demanded Samantha's debit card, which she informed him was in the truck and she shared with her boyfriend. Keys drove Kunick to his house, to his home, where he locked her in an outside shed. He returned to the radio, he turned the radio up inside the shed so that her screams would not be heard. He threatened her multiple times, demanding to know where her debit card was and what the pin for the account was. She told him, so then he left her and went to get the debit card. The truck that Samantha Koenig and her boyfriend shared was parked right outside their house and Keys attempted to break into it. This or the previous text message had alerted Koenig's boyfriend who went out to confront the stranger. The two had a brief interaction sorry, altercation, in which Keys barely escaped, but the boyfriend went back inside the house to try and get help. In the meantime, Keys managed to grab the debit card and escape, all but sealing Samantha Koenig's fate. On the way back to his house, Keys tested the debit card and found that it worked. He began to pull out Samantha's money and traveled back home. There he sexually assaulted her before asphyxiating her. She was dead just hours after being abducted. But her family and friends and loved ones wouldn't know that for months. Wow. Early in the morning of the very next day, February 2nd, Israel departed for New Orleans. He left Kinnick in the shed in his yard, assured that she wouldn't be disturbed in the time that he was gone. Keys had pre-purchased a cruise leaving for New Orleans, which would take him out of the States for the next couple of weeks. This was apparently a regular occurrence for him, as he would take these small vacations not only to spend the money from the victims he had murdered, but also to escape the heat of the crime for a short time. During this time, the Koenig family and Samantha's other loved ones began to grow desperate for any word. The only word they had received were those two text messages, following by the intruder that had broken into the truck and stolen her debit card. They knew nothing and wouldn't until February 17th. Wow. Devastating. 
On February 17th, Samantha Koenig's boyfriend received a text message from her phone informing her that there was a ransom note at a nearby park hidden under a lost dog flyer. The ransom note was found by Anchorage police and demanded $30,000 for the safe return of Koenig. On the opposite side of the ransom note was a photo of Koenig taken just a day or so beforehand, posted to look like she was still alive. Keys had soon her eyelids open oh my God. to make her look alive and placed a four-day-old newspaper under her arm to appear lifelike. Believing his daughter was still alive, James Koenig began pleading to the community to raise money to save his little girl. <sighs> that is so sick. He knew, man. He knew. I feel like he was mocking communities in small towns because he was so agitated growing up in one and seeing the bullshit, well, what he would assume to be like bullshit, you know, um, friendships and how do you call it like community spirit like he would he would just mock that and just be like i bet you guys are gonna try and raise money for her which is what they actually did the community did a great job of marshalling together to bring back one of their own and began to deposit the money into samantha's account which keys still had access to Unfortunately, Samantha Kinney had been dead for nearly two weeks now and Keyes was ready to get rid of the evidence. He began to dismember her body and drove it out to the frozen Matanuska Lake where he had to cut holes in the surface of the lake to bury her body piece by piece. Unfortunately... Wow. Sorry? So, like, wow, that's, that's insane. <sighs> I mean, I'm not surprised. He's obviously deranged. He's done this to animals. He's done this to people before. But I feel like he definitely got cocky with this one. Definitely. Disgustingly cocky. Unfortunately, this would be the last violent crime that he would ever commit. Well, what do you mean? Oh, shit. (laughs) Sorry, I meant to say fortunately. Oh. I read it as unfortunately and I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean? Oh my god. Who are you? I'm such an idiot. I'm so sorry. I promise you guys. I'm a vegan. I'm a pacifist. I'm a Buddhist. I would never hurt a fly. (laughs) I'm the type of person that captures spiders with a glass so I can let them out free. (laughs) But I sound so bad, I know. (laughs) I I do that too. I don't want to kill them. Yeah, I feel like it's... Yeah. Yeah, I could never, like, kill something and just have to live with the fact that I killed it. Like, who am I? Why am I doing this? Like, you know, like, it's not my fault the spider got in the house. Like, he doesn't know where he is. <laughs> I remember I, when I was a kid, I had this thing. I was scared to, like, um, kill insects because I would imagine that their family would find out and they'll, like, come for me. Like, like a gang of insects <laughs> come for me. <laughs> like in my mind that sounded really scary uh, back then <laughs> not to be fair cause like I mean as a kid you you would kind of imagine it yeah, it makes sense yeah <laughs> police began to trace the withdrawals from the withdrawals from Samantha King's Koenig's bank account to ATMs in Anchorage Arizona, Texas and New Mexico 
Now the FBI was involved with the case, along with the Texas Rangers, and they quickly found that the person making the withdrawals was driving a white Ford Focus. On a chance encounter, one sec, with the couple of Texas Highway Patrolmen, with a couple of Texas Highway Patrolmen, Keys was identified as the person of interest, this now federal case, before being pulled over and detained. I'm sure that these patrolmen that happened upon Keys had no idea that they had detained one of the most methodical serial killers of recent times, but they were more than capable enough to do. But they were more than capable enough not to only detain Keys peacefully, but to find Koenig's cell phone in the trunk of the car and later find her debit card in his wallet. Boy. I don't understand. How did he not think that um, because she's a missing person, obviously they'll trace like her bank account activity, and that's why he be... withdrew from like different states. Oh, fair enough. But when, but then Anchorage, like, hello, you live there. I guess, like, I was also thinking that. Why would they not just close her bank account? But then that means that they wouldn't be able to uh, catch the person who kidnapped her. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. also to keep her cell phone on his person. Yeah, wouldn't you want to I mean, get he already sent the texts. It's fucking, like, you got rid of the body. You already sent yeah. the texts. You're already getting the money, the ransom thingy. So you're not using the cell phone to contact her loved ones. Chuck it. Mm -hmm. Why are you keeping that? Or maybe he was like, ooh, trophy. Maybe. Or maybe he just forgot about it. Like, if he's been doing this for a very long time, he probably was really confident in himself. And he might have, like, slipped and, um, you know, just forgot about it could be but it sounds like a rookie mistake Mm -hmm. and i need to stop sounding like this (laughs) you didn't have a checklist then Yeah, so Israel was now behind bars. He would later go on to admit to federal investigators that he was behind the mysterious disappearance of Bill and Lorraine Courier, who had seemingly vanished from the face of the planet a year ago. Mm -hmm. He would admit to many more crimes in his time behind bars, including the arson of a house in Texas on February 16th, just days before returning to Anchorage, to demand ransom for Samantha Koenig. He also confessed to multiple bank robberies in the same in that same Texas town and others in the state of New York, which he had never even been suspected in. He would go on to admit killing eight or so people, but many have theorized that the number is on the lower end of the spectrum. With the crazy amount of trips he made and throughout the country throughout the country and even internationally some have theorized 
keys to be involved with dozens of disappearance. He admitted to at least one killing where the body was recovered and hinted that police might have ruled the death an accident. Investigators leaned towards the notion that Israel murdered one of his victims and then started a house fire. But trying to find out exactly who this victim was without a confession would be downright impossible. Keys told investigators that he buried his murder kids all over the United States and to date a handful have been found but many more are likely still buried out there. Unfortunately later, months unfortunately after months of interrogation and interviews with federal authorities, little information had been turned up. On December 2nd, 2012, just months after being detained for the murder of Samantha Kinnick, Israel extracted a blade from a shaving razor that he used to slit his own wrists, just as he set up a series of sheets to hang himself with. Israel killed himself, taking his secrets to the grave, leaving behind a bloodstained suicide letter, which follows. We don't know all the crimes. Sorry, there was a picture of it. <laughs> but yeah, I can read it to you guys. How are we with time? Uh, we've got like... 23 minutes okay i'll try to be quick because his suicide letter is not great (laughs) i mean to be fair i'm not gonna read all of it i just want to give you guys a gist of who this person thought he was okay i just just need people because there's a lot of like videos of the interviews but if i start playing them we're not gonna have enough time and they're on youtube so if anyone wants to see his confession tapes Unfortunately, you guys can't, because trust me, very cringy, very embarrassing. <laughs> February 6, 2013. Serial killer Israel Key's blood smeared suicide later obtained by abcnews.com. By the way, sorry, um, my source is ABC News <laughs> for their letter. Is a creepy ode to murder, in which he clearly enjoys killing his victims and expresses his disgust with people's everyday lives. Like I said, he was making, he was mocking this community like they're going to raise the money for this girl, right? Mm -hmm. You may have been free. You loved loving life. Sorry, you may have been free. You loved loving your lie, fate and its own scheme. Crushed like a bug, you still die, Keys wrote. At another point, he writes about the, quote, nervous laugh as it bursts like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. End quote. The arrest of Keys 34 on March 12, 2012 for the murder of Alaskan barista Samantha Koenig ended more than a decade of traveling around the country to find victims or to prepare for future crimes by buying murder kids or weapons, cash and tools to dispose of bodies. Since March, he had been slowly traveling, slowly telling police about his hidden life and how he operated. But the tale abruptly ended when Keyes committed suicide in his jail cell on December 1st. Police are now left trying to fill in the details of his violent, of his vicious life. Police believe he killed between 8 and 12 people, including Koenig, but only three victims have been definitely tied to Israel so far. The FBI released Keyes' four-page document today describing it's a combination, sorry, quote, it's a combination of pencil and ink on yellow legal pad, end quote. The pages were discovered under Keyes' body, quote, illegible and covered in blood, end quote, the FBI said. 
the paper the papers were sent to an FBI laboratory in Virginia for processing and the FBI was able to restore the notes to a mostly legible condition for review and analysis. Quote, the FBI concluded there was no hidden code or messaging in the writings, end quote. The FBI said in a news release today, quote, further, it was determined that the writings do not offer any investigative clues or leads as to the identity of other possible victims, end quote. The FBI said it would not offer any commentary as the meaning of the writings. Shall we pause? Sure. Hello, guys. So we took a quick break and we are back uh, with me reading Israel Keys. Um, sorry, segments of Israel Keys's suicide note because it's way too long and nobody got time for them. So I read to you some of the quotes from the letter and I am now going to read you some comments that um, forensic psychiatrists have had. Quote, it's certainly not an ordinary suicide note, end quote, Dr. Phil Resnick, director of the Forensic Psychiatry at University Hospital Case Medical Center in Cleveland, told abcnews.com after looking at the writings. Quote, he doesn't talk much about his own dilemmas of being in prison or why he's taking his own life, end quote, Resnick said. Quote, it's more of a final statement of contempt for the American style of life. And I think the other thing he emphasizes is his own superiority, that he has guile and can't take advantage of people who are naive and trusting of him, end quote. Dr. Stephen Montgomery, a forensic psychiatrist of Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, said, The writings show intelligence and a clear understanding that Keyes knows his behavior was wrong. Quote, He's writing this so that people will find it and talk about it, and further magnify his own self-worth, end quote. Montgomery told abcnews.com. Quote, And, of course, it has no, it has no remorse. Oh, wow, he called him on it. <laughs> burn <laughs> no regard for human life or the victims and that fits with that type of psychopathic personality end quote like sorry but also it's kind of like not correct because even if he's a psychopath or a sociopath like he has antisocial personality disorder calling them an it is a bit much <laughs> for a yeah, doctor maybe. like yeah um did they actually have, um, like, an interview with um, a psychiatrist and him? I don't believe so. None that I know oh. of. If someone knows, well, let me know. From what I know, it was just him and the police, and he was just negotiating. Like, yeah, give me a, give me a Snickers bar, give me a cigar, give me a Coke. Basically, that's what he asked for, and it's like, then I'll tell you this, then I'll tell you that. I I do want to see those uh, confession tapes. I'll send I'm you gonna... the link, yeah, to the to the things. But yeah, so I listened to them. So did Noor, and it's just infuriating. <laughs> He's so cringy. He reminds me of school shooters. Like those white nerdy kids that think that they're better than everyone else and they're secretly a neo-Nazi. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I know I'm a white kid as well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> wasn't far from that, was he? Hmm. The quote unquote mentally challenged kids. Because of course it's terrorism if they're a different color. But he just, I don't know, he just kind of had this vibe. So when I even heard of the case, I was like, I can bet you a thousand dollars he's racist as well. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he just, um, for him, like another human life was just another human life. Like, yeah. He didn't like think much of, of it. Yeah, but I feel like also he was trying to prove a point, like, yeah, no matter how, like, for example, with, what was her first name, Samantha? Or was it Samantha Koenig? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I feel like his point was, yeah, I can do whatever I want. And she was like, he was like, yeah, I'm going to get a ransom for you. And she was like, you know, my family is not rich. And he was like, that's fine. The community will get involved. Like, he could pretty much figure out what's going to happen. So he was just like, just mocking everyone trying to save this poor girl. Because he was like, yeah, you guys could try, but... She's dead. Yeah, and he didn't even need the money. He didn't even need any of that. He was just doing it as a statement. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. was mocking kind of the whole small town, you know, um, community situation. I feel like that he grew up in, because if you remember, like it was a it was a pattern in his life that wherever he would move, it would be like a small town since a kid. Yeah. And he was part of like a the Mormon community as a kid. So it's just interesting to see that maybe something happened that challenged his values. I wonder what. And his morals. I mean, those kind of cultish, you know, situations that he grew up in, there's often pedophilia involved, so I'm speculating here, but... Could be. Never know. I reckon, like, he's he had loads of siblings. They would have known. Yeah, and also because like the whole situation with their church was that they're better than everybody else yeah. maybe that was also oh, like yeah. a strong factor that he thought you know yeah that he's community- yeah well he well in his teens he like denied religion and was against like the whole thing mm. but still it's just interesting to think i feel like he's so alive it was like a cat and mouse game and he was the cat. Mm-hmm. So to him, it was always like, ha ha ha, look at you guys making like a meaning out of life at the end of the day, like. It's nothing. Yeah. To him. <laughs> yeah. I will be doing more parts where I'll be talking um, more about the family. And the consequences, like I said, of what mm-hmm. he did and how his so kids... How old was he when he committed suicide? I'm not gonna lie to you, Karen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't really remember that. 
think he was in his late 30s though. 30s or 40s. <laughs> So, yeah, he was 34, it says. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, he had two kids. But from what I remember, um, he had split with his wife already. Mm-hmm. And he was living away from her with some other chick. Which kind of, like, reminds me of Dexter. I don't know why. Because <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the series. Actually, haven't surprisingly. It just reminds me because like Dexter was like so on top of his game, and then at one point, like, cause he used to have like this girlfriend, and I don't know if he really liked her or not, cause obviously he had like antisocial personality disorder. So I'm not sure if he actually cared for her or she was just like a quote unquote beard. <laughs> and then, when he was like just going nuts and off his game and then you know he wasn't that much in control of his impulses to kill he started dating this like random chick and just left left this girl and then like he put himself in danger a few times of getting caught so i'm thinking this kind of reminds me of that maybe he got like so into the adrenaline of it that he was like no one's ever gonna catch me because even if they catch me who the fuck is gonna believe that i'm crazy enough to do this yeah I see what you mean. Because you have to strictly follow evidence if you, you know, you catch someone like that. Yeah. Because who would even think that? They would look at, they would look at like, yeah, you know, this girl is missing. And they'll be like, but the family has seen photos of her alive. Right? Mm -hmm. But then nobody would think that this guy actually was hiding the body and like. And if he was traveling so often, he could have been like, oh, I I wasn't actually there. Yeah. Yeah. And he traveled with his kids and his wife, so he always had an alibi. Yeah. So that's nuts. Mm. A bit too smart. (laughs) (sighs) Well, in his words, quote, it's certainly not an ordinary suicide note. So, I don't know. He was just, like, mocking. He was, like, making quotes that referred to Silence of the Lambs. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> I'm not laughing at him. Just I'm, just, I'm just cringed. <laughs> yeah. Keys ended the writings with the haunting lines. Quote, Okay, talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action, or it all comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower or your petals I'll crush. End quote. The fuck? Wow. (sighs) I don't even know what to say. Exactly. It's just so strange. yeah so guess I'll end with that cool (laughs) he's definitely something yeah we'll be back with more (laughs) yep just something to think about yeah just a random thought what would you do 
if I mean do you, do you think like you would have a feeling about your spouse <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like I'm putting George on the spot <laughs> I guess you don't know up until you're in that situation. Yeah, but like, let's say, like, like, would you never go to the shed when he's not there, where he was keeping that body? Like, I just find it so whack that he thought nobody would go in there. Like, what if she needed like something and she went in there? That's so nuts. Yeah, that's to true. me, because like, because mm. okay, yes. fair enough, he travels a lot, but like. He straight up put that body, like, right under everybody's nose. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it depends how curious you are, like... Hmm. really don't know. Yeah, because I think he froze her and then defrosted her to take the photo. I, I thought I would get like that, you know. Like, instinct or whatever. To go check, but well, you, you don't know. more or less know the person and trust them. So if they do something that is, you know, not the usual thing, you'd be like, hmm. But maybe like when he met her, he was already doing shady shit. So she was like, yeah, yeah was shady old friend. Israel, my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so strange. Yeah. What What do you think? I mean, I am gonna die alone because <laughs> this gives me major trust issues. <laughs> I'll never be able to get close to a human being ever again. Nah. Just the thought of like, that this person could lie. No, I'm kidding, obviously. Anyone could and just sitting there con- contemplating is not gonna help you. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I would like to think that I would pick up on weird vibes. You know when someone's just like weird about something and you're just like, but why are you weird about it? And they'll be like, don't ask. And you'll be like, but why? You know? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like like you would pick up on it when you're like their girlfriend or wife or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> if they're like, oh, don't go in your like, the shed or whatever, you'd be like, why? And you'd be like, don't. And you'd be like, mm, okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Don't press that red button. Yeah, it's just like... Because I feel like these people like the thing that they're so cool and calm and collected. But when they feel like you're close to, you know, pick something up, they'll just be like, no. I said no. And they'll get aggressive, so... Mm. That would be a huge red flag. Yeah. But I need to research more about, like, his wife's memories and recollections in order to have, like, more... Yeah. To talk about on that. Find, like, stuff like that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember, like, I found some stuff, but that was, like, a year ago, where she was like, yeah, heard the tapes and just fucking left the building. Because, like, whoa. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You thought you know someone, and then you hear them talk like that. Mm-hmm. How long were they together for? Wow, I can't tell. I'll have to research it and let you know. But obviously they had two kids. 
Yeah, so there was a lot. They were quite like I think they were the girl was a teenager, I'm not sure about the boy. Wow. So yeah, a while I would say. Cuz I feel like right about the time where he was getting cocky and weird was when he left her. Cuz it yeah, I think. And again, I'm speculating. I'm going to have to go back to my research and my notes. But I feel like she was getting a bit nosy and he was like, I don't want to have to deal with this. And then he started this whole thing like, I need my space and just ended it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not entirely that she had like no idea, but she was just like, well, all of a sudden, because I think she found out that he was cheating. Like he was talking to someone online and she was like, why why are you cheating? And he would be like, I need my space. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. My God, Barbara. (laughs) You're me. <laughs> and then I think she found like all of these missing people's cases that I told you that he was like super creepy about like learning about. Yeah. And she was just like, Why? Why are you so obsessed with these cases? And he would be like, oh, just weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to do yet another episode. Yay. Yeah, man, thank you so much for the help. And wow, that was loud. That's okay. (laughs) I live on the high road, so that's what happens. Mm. But yeah, thank you so much for your help. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the story. Yeah, can't wait to hear the rest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So I'll be ending this here and try to connect the episode. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>